This is the Restoring Hope Podcast. Hi everyone, I'm Matt Till. Welcome to the Restoring Hope Podcast, your no-fluff dose of inspiration to believe that hope is never lost, faith is not dead, and a better tomorrow is coming. Welcome to episode 19, Embrace the Unexpected. That's what we're going to be talking about today is embracing the unexpected. Um, But first of all, uh, this episode is dropping on Labor Day here in the United States. So for those of you who might be uh, listening today on actual the holiday, Labor Day, happy Labor Day to you. And um, if you are privileged enough to be off of work today, um. I hope that uh, you're enjoying your holiday, your day off, and that you're using today for the good and blessing of others and uh, not letting it go to waste. And uh, perhaps for those of you who must work or for those of you who are a part of some sort of essential service or even a not essential service, but your employer requires you to work, maybe you're a Starbucks barista. I think one could argue that's an essential service. Um, maybe for you, make the most of it today by inspiring hope in someone else. Uh, even on the holiday. Well, thanks to those of you who reached out uh, over the last week and asked how I was doing and how I'm feeling uh, after my surgery. I appreciate you. Thanks for reaching out and asking. I'm, I'm doing well. I'm improving every day. Uh, recovery is slow. Um, and, uh, you know, it's not the most significant surgery one could ever have in their life. Uh, that is uh, for sure. But, um, you know, I realize that I think I can do more than I really should. And my body usually tells me that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I've, I've probably been pushing it too hard and, um, and actually the plot has thickened a lot. (laughs) Um, I actually pushed myself way too hard this week, um, for, for a particular reason and that I'm going to explain to you here in a second. Um, you know, I forgot to even mention too, that, um, because of my trip to the ER, uh, the poor girls, my 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 two daughters. Um, I have two daughters and a son, and my two daughters, their birthdays are close to close together. We had a party actually scheduled for that day, and they even we had to cancel the party because I had to go to the emergency room uh, for this, and I just felt so bad for them. But it's amazing just to see how resilient they've been and how gracious and loving they've been. And um, actually, uh, some presents were given to them from uh, my parents and their you know their grandma and grandpa. And I watched from my hospital bed, even uh, on FaceTime, as they were opening up those gifts. And that is not the same as being there in person. But uh, just really uh, blessed by that moment and grateful for those uh, who are around and can come around those who who are in need at the time. Um, but man, if if this week wasn't stressful enough, if the last week wasn't disruptive enough, as we as we talked about last week about disruption, and how do we maintain hope in times of stress or di- or even duress? Um, the plot totally thickened this week, uh, or at least I should say that last week, as you are now hearing this from. Um, so you know. Perhaps you've heard the phrase, expect the unexpected. And uh, this has actually been a a theme that we have been using, a phrase that our family has been using really since this summer. And it's just been this theme that we've just kind of uh, continued to tell ourselves, expect the unexpected. And uh, a lot of this has been just because of there are so many unexpected things and so much disruption in our world today 
that it has allowed us to keep our focus on the more important things in life and to help us remain flexible. Um, for example, we were on a vacation with our family um, back over the summer, and we just kind of told ourselves, expect the unexpected. There are going to be unexpected things that will come about, so just remain flexible and keep your hope in God um, through it all. Uh, some of those things were, oh, uh, the restaurant, this restaurant happens to be closed, or they only have half of their menu items available, or things are taking longer than we expected them to be, right? If you have all these high expectations for what's going to be taking place in your trip, your plans, whatever the case may be, um, or whatever it is that your, your activity you're doing, you're more easy to become disappointed. But when you continue to tell yourself to expect the unexpected, well, then your expectations are pretty much open-ended and you can still find joy, peace, um, happiness, love, and even hope even in through um, the trials uh, that you're presented with in that day. So we have used this theme for us, expect the unexpected. And it has actually even helped us uh, when I went into the hospital. Well, this was very unexpected, but um, you know, I suppose I needed to expect the unexpected and allow it to not ruin my entire week and weekend. Well, so expecting the unexpected, uh, I expected to come home and then to spend more time in resting and recovering last week. Well, I had only been home for a few nights when Mary and I woke up to our bedroom ceiling. You're going you're gonna to think I'm making this up, but I, I assure you that I'm not. Uh, I have pictures to prove it, um, that we woke up in the morning to our bedroom ceiling, the drywall, cracking all the way across and nearly collapsing on us overnight. I, I'm, I'm not even kidding. It, it seems to be this freak accident of some sort that is occurring and has happened, a defect in, in our home. And um, this crack came all the way across the entire ceiling. So here we are um, waking up to this and now realizing, oh my gosh, this thing is going to fall. Now I'm still recovering from surgery. The doctors have told me, Matt, you cannot lift anything heavier than a gallon of milk. Uh, for the next four to six weeks, uh, do not stress your body uh, beyond its, uh, you know, what you need to do because you need to spend your time and energy on healing right now. Well, of course, as any responsible person would try to do, I suppose, is I, I forsake my own healing and I said, we got to get everything out of this bedroom before the ceiling comes down on us. So that's what my wife and I did. We started moving things out of the bedroom. We're packing things up. We're getting ready to just kind of putting them in boxes and trying to empty out the room as quickly as we could. Uh, we were able to get a little bit of help for the more heavier items, like getting the bed out and the dresser and things like that. But we spent all day doing that on, um, you know, last week when this all occurred. And of course, it created additional stress and anxiety that we were not planning on. Uh, so in many regards, it kind of set back my healing a little bit, actually, um, and has, has been a little frustrating. Um, and, and, and then, of course, as the day has gone on and then through by the time the weekend hit, um, we were trying to finish up in there, get a few other things done before the work, the repair work was going to be done. And, um, well, essentially the, the rest of the ceiling ended up collapsing in and on itself. And, uh, you know, thankfully, um, you know, we were not injured and thankfully most everything was already out of the room at this time. But, um, you can just imagine just like this whole, like of all the things that could be going on right now, this happens. It's like one disaster on top of another, one unexpected thing to, uh, to, 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 to occur. 
you know, in and, and realizing the temptation here in this moment, right? Um, when these kind of uneventful things, the unexpected things come, they begin to pile on. They, they seem like they're endless. Uh, I'm not sure if I mentioned that actually a few weeks ago, we had a huge thunderstorm hit our come by our neighborhood and took down all these trees in our yard. And we were out of power for like a day and a half. Um you know, it's like, it's like, wow, like one major thing after another. The temptation is to ask ourselves, well, why is all this happening to us? Why is this happening to me? And many of us fall into these traps of we begin to assume that um, this loss, this suffering must be happening for some sort of purpose. And for those of us who are, are, are believers or faith-filled people or believe in God or even just a higher power, it would be easy and often is where we start to default to is going, why is this happening to me? Am I some sort of victim in God's divine, in some sort of divine tragedy that God is writing me into this story or using me in? Uh, sometimes we think this like, is this some sort of a sign? <laughs> is this a warning of some sort? You know, Matt, careful now. These things are all happening, and what you know, th- these are signs and warnings because of the way you've been thinking or behaving or a decision you're going to make. Maybe, or maybe I'm being punished. Is this punishment for something that I didn't realize I've done or that I did do? Or, or sometimes we just kind of chalk it up as to being part of. God's plan in some sort of plan that's going to be revealed to us. And the reality is, when you kind of step back from it all, we realize it's probably none of those things. It's not uh, some sort of divine tragedy that's taking place. It's not a sign. It's not a warning. It's not, you're not being punished by God. And it may not even be part of a, a bigger, greater plan of God. It's probably none of these things because many of them actually have reasonable explanations. And what's interesting is before, um, as we think through this, there's actually a really good book in the Bible that helps us process through this very scenario. So whether it's my particular circumstances or yours that sound similar, where there's one thing after the other and you're feeling right now like God's against you or you're being punished or there's some sort of twisted plan that's, that is out of your control, there's a book in the Bible that I think helps us process this because the same questions were being asked. And that is the book of Job. Now, I actually started this podcast, um, I think it was like episode one or two, that we actually talked about Job. And um, I want to go back to this again and just kind of give a broad narrative again to the book of Job and then just kind of share a little something else out of it that I think will help give us some framework for how we can start to think about this in our own life and to maintain hope um, when we encounter these things and encounter these trials that seem to just kind of be endless in our life sometimes. So the book of Job, again, as a reminder is a book that is a story about this man, Job, who seemed to have everything. He had success in life. He had wealth. He had a family. um, And uh, he had everything he ever needed. And he was a devout follower of God. And uh, the the Bible would consider him as being someone who's righteous. He always chose to do the right thing. He was wise. 
And, um, and so uh, with that, uh, Job seemed to have it all. But then uh, everything was then taken from him. And so uh, when, when everything is taken from him, he now um, starts to, uh, not only is everything taken from him physically, all of his possessions, one thing after the other, but even his whole family ends up uh, perishing and dying aside from his wife. So he's just left with him and his wife, so all of his kids. His wealth is gone. And then his health is on, is on the brink. And he is basically um, stricken with this terrible disease that makes him essentially almost on his deathbed. And, and so the philosophical question that the book of Job is, is asking is, why is all of this? What, why is this loss and suffering happening to me, God? That's, that is Job's philosophical question he's asking. Why is this happening to me? Well, and, and what happens is that what's revealed through the story, through the entire story, and you can, if you were to go back and read it and kind of put this framework in your mind, is that there's actually a faulty logic that is actually being displayed in the whole book. I'm not saying that the story's incorrect. I'm just saying that what's being presented actually is in fact and revealed is faulty logic. And that is of Job and his friends. So part of the story is what happens that Job has this terrible thing happen to him. And now he's like stricken and he's crying out to God by going, why is this happening to me? Um, what did I do to deserve this? I Am I being punished for something? Uh, but I'm certain I'm innocent. And um, he has three friends that come over and actually turns out there's a fourth person uh, that actually is, is part of this group. So there's six of them. Uh, seems like there's a dialogue of six people that occurs. Um, and so uh, there's Job, his three friends, and then, um, I'm sorry, uh, five people. I can't even count today. <laughs> Job, his three friends, and then a fourth. And so the three friends come over and then they start to basically argue with Job. And the whole, much of the book is actually this argument of back and forth, each one presenting a case. So here's the faulty logic. Job um, what he is doing is that he believes that his success and his comfort is a result of God's blessing over him. Okay. So in other words, of putting that is God's blessing is revealed in a person's success and comfort. All right. And the other side of that coin is that God's punishment is demonstrated in loss and suffering. Or in other words, when I experience loss and suffering, I must be, I must be punished by God. So the, the faulty logic here that's being des- described in Job, that Job and both Job and his friends are wrestling over, are, is this dualistic nature of God. And they're saying, they're both saying the same thing, but from two different sides and arguing with each other over it. And that is, God is this this um, divine being who blesses us with material wealth and success or curses us with loss and suffering, and it all belongs into his court, or I've done something wrong to deserve it. And so that's where this the entire book goes. So Job, he what he does throughout the book is that he's insisting, he insists on the fact that God is to blame because he's like, I didn't do anything to deserve this. This was... This is not 
like I'm innocent. <laughs> I'm innocent. I've done nothing wrong. God is punishing me for some reason, and I'm not quite sure why, but he's to blame. But the, Job's friends are insistent that, no, you can't blame God. You're the one, Job. You're the one to blame for all this. You're being punished for a reason for all of this. You have some sort of hidden sin that you haven't confessed yet. There must be something in your life that you've done to deserve all this. Okay, now take a step back for a second. And how many times have you told yourself these stories? How many times have you believed this line of logic um, about your life, your circumstances, whatever is happening? This is a sign. I must have done something wrong. Or, oh, man, I, I, I cut that person off in line. I treat, I said something terrible to my my you know, my wife or my, my husband the other day or my child. And this is punishment for that. This is, I've, I've done that. That's what's happening. Or God's aunt mad at me for some reason. And I just don't know what it is yet. And he's trying to get my attention. How many times do we go down this logic train, right? And this is what's been revealed in Job is that it's faulty. This is not real. This, this is imaginary. You, this is not what, the, what reality is, but they're arguing about it in the entire book. So that's the philosophical questions that are being asked. That's the faulty logic is why is this happening to me? Now, here's what, here's what all gets set straight. A little bit later, uh, starting in like chapter 32, near the end of the, of the book, um, this, this fourth individual, uh, the, the man's name is uh, Eli uh, Hugh. I think it's how it's pronounced, Eli Hugh. And he's a young man, it turns out. Probably uh, maybe a teenager, uh, maybe he's in his 20s or something like that, uh, young adult age or something. And he sat there silently through the entire dialogue of this, of these three friends going back and forth with Job. And he sits there quietly listening in on their arguments. And then he chimes in and he has this monologue for, you know, uh, like four chapters worth, four or five chapters. And it is him who actually sets them straight before God speaks and has like the final word in the rest of the book. Okay. And God is interesting because he then kind of like affirms everything that Elihu says. And what Elihu says to Job and his friends is he says instead, and I'm, I'm summarizing. Okay. This is a par, paraphrase summary statement here. Instead of asking why me, God? Ask, what now? Instead of asking in the circumstance, in the question, why me, God? Or why is this happening to me, God? Or if you're the friend, why is this happening to you? Ask, what now? What do I do now? What do I do with this information? What's next now? You see, Elihu, what he says and he's doing is that he reminds them that actually our varying circumstances, position, our status, our health, whatever the condition you find yourself in today, they're actually part of the human experience. See, this is all what it means to be human. Hey, I had gallstones that became a very significant problem that required me to get my gallbladder taken out. It happens. <laughs> Turns out it happens to millions of other people too. Did I enjoy it? No. Do I want to do that again? No. But you know what? It's okay. We're going to move on. This is what 
happens. I wasn't being punished for anything. But now armed with knowledge, we can then begin to move forward and make a plan. Um, these are the things. It's like, okay, now what? What do I do? Hey, my ceiling is suddenly falling apart for some reason. Why is it? I don't know why this is happening. I'm going to go call, call a bunch of people and I'm going to ask them to get their opinion on it to make sure the house is still safe. And then on top of it, we are going to make the next best plan for today and for tomorrow for our family, right? So what now? So Eli Hugh in his monologue reminds us that these varying circumstances, our position, our wealth, our status, our health, is just part of the human experience, Sometimes we're poor, sometimes we're wealthy. Sometimes we don't know, you know, we are well-respected and other times we are not. But God's favor is not represented in the material things of this life. So it has very little bearing, no bearing whatsoever. There's no evidence to suggest that you're in the material, in the material things of this world, that God's favor is represented in any of those things. And then he also reminds us that our lives are shaped and they're affected more more by the behaviors of ourselves, the behaviors of others, and the events or even the forces that are beyond our own control. And that's just what it means just to live and be part of a creative and chaotic in this interconnected world. So one of the, uh, one of the things I wanted to read out of here is um, out of chapter uh, uh, 35 of Job. And this is Elihu. And he, he says to, um, he, he says to them, to Job and his friends, he goes, you know, if you sin, how does that affect God? Even if you sin again and again, what effect does it have on him? And if you're good, is this some sort of great gift to him? What could you possibly give to God? So how could your sin effectively, how can it actually impact God? It has no bearing on him. The, the, he, God is above all of these things. Your sin is trivial compared to his gr- glory. There's no vengeance that he needs to bring upon you. And if you're good, what does that possibly do for him? Right? As if he, he has some sort of personal grudge against you in any regard. And he says, no, this is verse 8. No, your sins affect only people like yourself. And your good deeds also affect only humans. So what he's doing is reminding, he's putting everything into perspective for us. Like, listen, when you sin, guess what that sin is against? It's going to be against you or it's going to be against others. And by the way, when you do good things, it's going to be for your benefit or for the benefit of others. Now, God wants us to do good and to avoid sin for maybe what we consider to be his glory, but mostly... This is what it means for us to be people of faith and how we instill and and inspire hope in the world and creating a better world and a better tomorrow is when we choose to avoid sin and when we choose to do good for others. But realizing that being part of this creative and chaotic and interconnected world, that these things are just going to happen. and. We, armed with knowledge, should respond accordingly. But it doesn't take away God's involvement either. Because, what's in, because what we're reminded here of is that God remains active in everything. And, and Elihu goes on, and, and he says this in, in the next two chapters. He goes, listen, God is still in all of He's active in and through all this. So despite... That like the parts that's his responsibility and our responsibility, he's he's saying, like, listen, God's still listening. 
He's still speaking. He still rescues. He still restores. He still sustains our life. And he still performs miracles despite our good deeds or even the evil ones. And so here's where I'm going to land the plane on this is that the message of Job, as I see it, is that we, mankind, people, individuals, we are responsible for the knowledge that we have access to, while God is responsible for and can be trusted with the knowledge that only he has access to. I'm going to say that again, is that we, mankind, we're responsible for the knowledge that we have access to. So if we understand and know like, oh, in the future, if I want to avoid this from happening because there's a cause and effect to my behavior, my attitude, my decisions, then I'm responsible for that, right? But if there are things that I don't know, if there are things in this universe that are too great for me to understand, not because I don't want to understand it, but because we as a people, as a society don't understand it, well, then God's responsible for that. And we can trust him with that, with that knowledge. And that actually should bring us a lot of confidence and also a lot of comfort, but puts more responsibility back onto us again. Not as asking the questions of why am I experiencing these things, but what now? What do I do with it? How do we move forward? And, and we hold this intention. We hold this intention with expecting the unexpected. And not only should we expect it, but learn to embrace the unexpected. Because what we can do then when unexpected things happen at timings that we don't necessarily want or predicted, right, is that we can actually embrace it by going, what do I need to learn? Is there something of personal growth here for me that I should embrace? And then we can believe that God is taking care of his part. I'm going to own mine and he can be trusted with his. And when we begin to embrace the unexpected things of our life and in this world, it helps us to move towards action in faith for a better tomorrow. We move from why me to what now. That's the move. That's the shift. And we do that in concert, in faith, so that we can pursue a hopeful tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Restoring Hope podcast this week. This is a listener-supported podcast. And so when you listen, share the podcast and donate. You're helping keep hope alive for others. Visit me on anchor.fm forward slash restoring hope to learn more how you can support the Restoring Hope podcast. Until next time, remember to keep the faith and to inspire hope in others. A better tomorrow is coming.